Now, I want to just kind of jump right into this passage because there actually is a lot to kind of digest here and unpack, and so it might take us some time to kind of just figure out what is going on here. So sometimes when we read a passage, we read these like markers, geographical cities and places, and we don't really understand them. Like, is this uh, Marion to Fort Wayne or is this Marion to Indy? That's a big difference in totally different directions. So I want to just kind of orient us for a second here, just like physically, geographically figure out where we are in this passage. So up until this point, Jesus has been kind of like meandering through the region of Galilee with his disciples, his followers. So Galilee is up in the northern kind of area of the country. And he's just been wandering around there, uh, ministering in that area. But now it says he's specifically traveling through Galilee towards Jerusalem, which is kind of down here in the south. And at this point, it says they reach the city of Capernaum, which is like kind of here. So he's up here traveling through coming to Capernaum, stops for the night, and is on his way to the city of Jerusalem in the south. And so at this point, when we get to this passage of scripture, it seems like he's almost making like a beeline to get to Jerusalem. He's not just kind of wandering around now. He is going straight towards the city that actually would hold his death, the city that he knew he would be delivered up by the hands of men to die on a cross. In fact, he even tells his disciples this in this passage and elsewhere. He says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. Like he doesn't say, well, this, this might happen. Uh, just, just warning you, something's bad. something bad is coming. He actually says, doesn't mince words, I am going to die. But then he gives the good news and he says, but after three days he will rise. But then in verse 32, we see that the disciples don't get it. Like they don't understand. It says in this passage, they did not understand the saying. That's like Greek for they don't get it. That's what it means. In fact, earlier in this chapter, it says that they often asked Jesus, what is meant by rising from the dead? What, what is he talking about? And he told them this before, but they, they don't get it. And we read this and we think, well, what is wrong with them? Like he says, he's going to die and then he's going to come back to life and Duh, that's what it means. But for the Jewish people in Jesus' day, this was not something that they'd like seen. They didn't have the benefit of the Bible to be able to flip forward a few pages and see the end of the story. They were living in that right then. And so when Jesus starts talking about resurrection, they, they thought of a resurrection at the end of time the very end of time when, when God came to gather his people, they, they thought of an end resurrection at the end of the world, but a resurrection within this life? What is he talking about? And Jesus knew that they wouldn't get it. 
He knew it was hard for them to understand this. But Jesus, knowing that they wouldn't understand, chose to reinforce the purpose behind what he knew was down the road for him, literally down the road in Jerusalem as they made their way there. See, they wouldn't realize this at this point in the story, but the lesson that he was about to teach them was actually laying the foundation for the work that was ahead of him, the work of actually dying on the cross. So what is this lesson that Jesus was trying to teach to them? It's a pretty like valuable, fundamental lesson for Jesus' followers to really understand, and he was constantly trying to instill it in them, and it's this. If anyone would be first... He must be last of all and servant of all. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. See, in all of Jesus' ministry and the work that he was doing, he was constantly trying to get this message into their heads. He taught it, he demonstrated it in the way that he lived and carried himself in his interactions with others. It's kind of like when you are trying to get your kids to hang up their coat and put their shoes away when they walk in the door, right? You constantly are telling them to do this. And I know this from experience, not because I have kids, but because I was a kid. And I remember my mom saying, put your, put your coat up, put your shoes away, put your coat up. Don't you dare put it on the floor. Like, put it in, there's a spot. It has a spot where it goes constantly, hoping that eventually it would, like, stick, right? And all the moms in the room said, Amen. And you're constantly trying to get them to understand this. That's kind of what Jesus was doing here. He's constantly trying to get them to understand this concept of being a servant. And even in the events that awaited him in the southern city of Jerusalem, events that would lead to his death on a cross... He was constantly trying to demonstrate the idea that the first must be last and must be servant to all. And really, this this idea was so important because it was at the core of the character of Christ. That is who Jesus is. He, the Son of God, humbled himself to take on the form of a human, like God became human, and then chose to serve the very beings that would one day betray him. Like, this doesn't make sense, and yet he became a servant, even though he's the only one worth being served. So he's constantly trying to get this lesson into the disciples' brains. He knew they were a little bit hard-headed, but he constantly keeps going. But just like with his resurrection, he knew they wouldn't get it. He knew it would be hard for them to grasp and, and to understand. 
He knew that they, they needed more than just saying if they were going to understand it. And so, again, he takes the opportunity to actually demonstrate this lesson to them and try to help their, their hearts and their minds understand this important idea of humility, of being a servant. See, in this passage, Jesus and, and his followers are, again, on the road, making a beeline to Jerusalem. And on the way, Jesus hears his disciples talking because they didn't have, like, podcasts or anything to keep them distracted. So, so they're just talking, good old-fashioned talking on the road. And they're talking about who among them is the greatest. Like, obviously, Jesus has to have a favorite, someone who's kind of, like, risen above the rest, Right? And they, and they think Jesus is going to rule the world. Everything's going to be fantastic. He's going to conquer the Romans. And one of us is hopefully going to be his right-hand guy. And so they're talking. Actually, they're, they're arguing about who that person is. Contrary to everything that Jesus is trying to get into their heads, this whole idea of being a servant, they're arguing about who is going to be the greatest. And when they arrive at their destination for the evening, they, they're staying at someone's house, Jesus asks them, what were you talking about on the way? Like as if he didn't know, but, but he asks. And he gives them the opportunity to respond, and they're embarrassed, rightly so. Because if you know this lesson that Jesus has been trying to get into your head, and then you're arguing about the very other thing, you don't really want to say, well, well, Jesus, we were talking about who's the greatest, even though I know we're supposed to be the least, but you know, whatever. And so they just kind of, they don't, they don't answer. They're a little sheepish and ashamed, again, rightly so. And then Jesus does something that to us seems maybe a little bit insignificant and a little bit out of place. See, he begins to teach them. And, and he sits down, and he says to his disciples, come here. Come on over, guys. They're like, oh my goodness, not this again. So they gather around, and, and he starts to teach them this lesson that I'm sure they've heard a million times before. Whoever would be greatest must be last of all and servant of all. And I, I picture Jesus just like looking at these guys that he's walked with and taught with and ate with. And his eyes are just brimming with love as he says this to them. And then... Something even, even more strange, as he's looking at his disciples, he sees a child, like probably the son or daughter, we don't know, of whoever their host was at their home. And, and he sees kind of through the group of disciples, he sees this, this child. And, and I picture he kind of, he kind of like, Caesar and, or him, we don't know, and, and kind of with a twinkle in his, in his eye, he's like, hey, 
and maybe this child has kind of been standing on, on the sidelines for a while and kind of spying out, because of course when, when a little kid has a group of people at their home, they're kind of, you know, spying out and uh, maybe shyly hiding behind mom's legs. But, but Jesus sees this child and says, come here. And I picture her just kind of making her way shyly over and the disciples part the way for this child to come forward. And then Jesus kind of hoists her up and, and puts her on his knee and, you know, maybe tickles her and she's laughing and, you know, maybe he's pulling on his, she's pulling on his beard or something. And I just, I picture him just giving her this, this big bear hug. And the disciples at this point, I'm sure, are wondering, where is he going with this? And they're just watching and, and with this, this little child sitting on his knee, wrapped under his arm, he looks at his disciples and he says, whoever receives one such child receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. See, I think what Jesus is trying to say here is don't worry about being the greatest. You should be concerned with trying to become the least, like, like a child. With the humility of a child. If you want to be the greatest, you have to become the least. If you want to be the greatest, you should be concerned with drawing near to the lowly, a child. See, and this moment, I think, is incredibly profound. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like just a little, a little moment in, in some house in Capernaum. But I think that this moment is crucial for us to understand what Jesus is trying to teach. In fact, what Jesus did here, what he physically, literally did, is crucial for us to understand the lesson he's trying to teach to the disciples. So what exactly did Jesus do here? He did three things. First, he assumed ignorance. He knew on the road what they were talking about. He was just playing dumb. In fact, we know that he knew what was in their heads because if you flip to the book of Luke and see his story of this story, his account of the same interaction, he says, Jesus knew what was in their heads. He knew what they were thinking, and yet he chose to assume ignorance. He chose to, to just ignore that. He didn't posture himself as a know-it-all, but instead he humbly stepped back and, and kind of tried to give the benefit of the doubt and maybe save them some face, spare them the scolding that really they, they deserved. 
So he assumed ignorance. But then he also, he lowered himself. He physically lowered himself, sat down to the level of a child. He physically placed himself below the disciples. But not only that, this is also the traditional posture in Jesus' day of a teacher. And so by lowering himself, putting himself below the disciples, he was also communicating, hey, gather around, there is something important to learn here. And then he embraced the lowly. He embraced a a child, the least among them. See, because we have to realize in Jesus' day, children were essentially just property of their parents. And yet, Jesus calls this child into the center of attention. In a day when children were expected to be neither seen nor heard, Jesus draws this child in and welcomed her or him into the middle of what he was doing and teaching. See, and this literal physical act in this Jesus was teaching And with his hands, with his actions, he was teaching and showing them what he knew the disciples would have a hard time understanding simply through words. He was teaching them the importance of humility, of choosing to not know and lower themselves and and meet eye to eye at the level of the lowly. See, our hearts and our minds often need the physical to teach us what is difficult to grasp and understand spiritually. I'm going to say that one more time because it's important for us to understand this. Our hearts and our minds often need what is physical to teach us what is difficult to understand and grasp spiritually. See, that's why Jesus was constantly using object lessons and parables when he was teaching. That's why often uh, spiritual truths are hard to understand until we have some sort of physical action attached to it. Or maybe put another way, we train our hearts by first practicing with our hands. By actually doing what our hearts need to understand. Think of it this way. Have you ever watched, either live or in a video, a really incredibly talented musician? Like maybe a pianist or a cellist? And as you watch them, They've got their eyes closed, and and they don't need to look at their hands, right? Because they've practiced. They've done this piece a million times, probably. And so when you watch them, you're seeing the music coming out of their hearts. Their hands are just following what they've been trained to do. See, Jesus took it upon himself 
to actually demonstrate with his own body the act of humility because he knew that it would be hard for them to get otherwise. He knew that it would be hard for them to make sense of unless they could see humility played out in front of them. In fact, when we begin to look at scripture, we see that this is just kind of what Jesus does. Every time he healed the blind, the lame, the sick, the demon-possessed. See, sometimes I, I picture that Jesus' kind of perpetual posture was him lowering himself and just shutting out what everyone was saying or thinking and just, just reaching out to those who were invisible to the rest of the world. Jesus was the master of the posture of humility. I mean, just picture it. This is, I can see Jesus just, this is where he's at all the time. Jesus was the master and the perfect example, the perfect model of the posture of humility. And as he journeyed closer and closer to the cross, this would become more and more evident. Now, I want to fast forward in that journey just a little bit because I think one of the most beautiful representations of Jesus taking this posture of humility is actually found a little bit later in his journey to the cross in a moment that's recorded in the book of John. Now, before the service started today, I asked Marita if she would be willing to help me with an illustration. And I didn't tell her what I was doing, but I'm going to ask if you would go ahead and come up to the front. I just asked her to be ready. When I picture this lesson that Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples, and you can go ahead and have a seat here. When I picture what Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples, this lesson of humility and of posturing ourselves for humility, I can't help but picture the story in John chapter 13 where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And so, Marita, would you allow me to wash your feet this morning? Thank you. So I'll let you go ahead and, and take your shoes off and, and get ready. In John chapter 13, Jesus had once again gathered his disciples around and at John, in John 13, it tells us that at this point, Jesus knew his hour had come. And Judas, the disciple who would betray him, already had it in his mind to betray Christ. So things are already setting in motion for Jesus to finish his journey towards the cross. And yet again, he demonstrates through his physical actions the posture of humility. See, at this point, Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him. These disciples 
who'd been following him would be scared for their lives and would run and hide. And yet he chose to set that knowledge aside. He chose to to wash their feet. Have you ever realized Jesus washed Judas's feet? Jesus washed Judas's feet knowing that he would betray him. And yet he set that knowledge aside and then he lowered himself. This time not just sitting before his disciples, but actually kneeling before them. See, you can't wash someone's feet without actually kneeling. You can't serve people without taking a posture of humility. So Jesus kneels in front of his disciples and he begins to wash their feet. And as he pours the water over their feet, taking each foot in his hand, he washed them knowing how prone their feet would be to wander and run. And as he washed their feet in this physical act, he demonstrated to his disciples what it meant to take the posture of humility, hoping that this lesson would be in their brains, in their hearts. But as he did this physical act, what the disciples didn't realize, what the disciples couldn't see was that this posture was actually already ingrained on Jesus' heart. And yet he used the physical to teach their hearts what he knew would be difficult to understand. See, we need the physical to help our hearts and our minds understand what is often difficult to grasp spiritually. And we practice that. We train our hearts by first using our hands. Marita, thank you for allowing me to take on that physical posture. You can go ahead and have a seat. I wonder... What posture of humility do you need to take this week? What posture of humility do you need to take this week? Maybe you need to assume ignorance and give someone the benefit of the doubt in conversation. Maybe there's someone in your life that you need to forgive and you need to set aside your knowledge of the wrongdoings that they have done towards you and choose to give them a chance to be heard. 
maybe you need to extend your arms towards a friend or a family member that you've been at odds with and take the first step towards reconciling with them. Maybe you actually need to give them a hug because you've been harboring bitterness against that person. Maybe you want to practice humility through foot washing. In fact, we have in the back as you leave a bin with some little kits and instructions on how you can do that with your family or your spouse at home. And so if you want to respond in that way, you can grab one of those kits. We just ask that you take one per household. Maybe you want to respond and, and practice the posture of humility in that way. But I want to challenge you that in whatever way you need to, think through a way that you can intentionally posture yourself in humility this week. And then go a step beyond that and don't just think about it, but actually do it. See, when we posture ourselves in humility, we're also posturing ourselves for something called grace, for receiving the goodness of God that we don't deserve. And then we're also serving as a vessel of that undeserved goodness towards others. Don't miss out on an opportunity. Don't miss out on an opportunity to experience God's grace and practice the character and humility that Jesus Christ demonstrated and taught for us. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord, we are so undeserving. And yet you came to this earth, you took on human form, and you served, you loved, you lowered yourself from heaven's throne, even to the lowest point of washing the feet of the men who would betray you the men who would leave you, a group of fishermen and tax collectors. Lord, you humbled yourself to the point of serving us. Lord, help us to practice that posture so that we can be more like you or we want to be more like you. Lord, humble our hearts and posture them to understand what's often difficult to grasp. And use these physical ways of practicing humility to teach our hearts how to be humble too. We love you so much and we thank you for loving us even when we don't deserve it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.